we are going to begin a new adventure. We have just stepped out of the letter to the Hebrews. We took an interlude to take an exhortation at the conclusion of Hebrews and would step into the saints at Corinth. We will this day look at verse 1. Let us read verse 1 and ask the Lord to bless this time. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Cool, huh? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this letter. I thank you for my brother and his apostleship to us Gentiles. Father, may we bow our knee. Father, may we understand when it says, take my life and let it be, that we come to that garden and we are willing and eager to say, Lord, not our will, yours be done. Father, we thank you that you are burning the dross and, Father, you are purifying the gold. Father, may we rejoice at what you're doing. And, Father, may we, with great expectation, long for that day when our faith shall become sight. But until that time, may we walk in the holiness and majesty and righteousness that we are clothed in Christ and that your glory is seen beaming from us and the glory, the power, and the majesty of he who is on high to your praise and your glory. Amen. If you would have visited Corinth at the writing of this letter, what you would have realized is amazing. The Greek Empire, the peninsula of Greece, was divided into two. You had the northern part was Macedonia, and you had the southern part, which is Achaia. Most of you know of Athens. Athens was an intellectual center of the Greek Empire. But did you know what city is the capital of Achaia? And it was not Athens. It is Corinth. Corinth would have had a population in excess of a million people. All right? If you visit Corinth today, you will find a village. And the village major trade is Christians coming and visiting the ruins of Athens. Need I say more? This is an amazing letter. And once we get into this letter, there will be things that will come up in your thought processes. There will be things that you will be confronted with, and I will give you a heads up. All right? This is fair warning. When you take odds with what I have taught from the book of Corinthians, I will remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Okay? And that may not really make a lot of sense to you now. It will before we finish this letter. As I went through this letter, I had shared with people many years ago when I started in the book of Hebrews, I had some men that I look up to and they told me that I was teaching a controversial text. And I could not figure out why. Uh, a dear soul told me, uh, interpret it yourself and there will not be any controversy in the book of Hebrews. And as doing, upon doing that, I did realize there is no controversy in the book of Hebrews. Um, if you're willing to allow God to show you what is there, uh, he will show you what is there. The only controversy is there is you just don't want to hear it. Uh, so I never had a problem. 
But when I went through this letter of Corinthians, and I've been reading this letter every day for a time, and, and, and it became clear as I was preparing to preach it that um, I will deal with some controversies. But I want to remind you, when this letter causes you pain, please go back to this verse. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You've got to understand that, and I'll show you why. Paul declares these Corinthians in verse 2 to be saints. That is a declaration. And if you think about it in our society today, it's an amazing declaration. And yet, as I look across you who are gathered today, many of you are saints. You are called out ones of the Most High God. You are holy ones. You are holy beings. You are, you are creatures created by a creator, and he has, by his act, made you righteous before him. You now have the privilege, as the writer of Hebrews says, to enter into the holy place with confidence to his throne of grace. That's an amazing statement. And he writes this letter, and I like this in verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth. This is not the first church of Corinth. Please understand that. This church here is called Casserock Baptist Church. This is not a Baptist church. This is not Casserock's church. This is God's church. Nothing has changed. The church in Corinth was God's church in Corinth. You who are gathered and who minister here alongside me with what God has called us to, we are God's church in Castle Rock. Please understand that. I am not a Baptist. Do you understand that? Okay, I do not hold to some of the things they do. All right? And, I, and I'm not going to get out and fight with them. I don't have time. All right? I am a called-out child of God, period. I've been studying you who have been part of the uh, uh, Thessalonian study that we have been doing. I've got a new term for the rapture. No one likes that word. Well, it's not in the Bible. No, it's not. Okay? It comes out of the Latin. Okay? And it's the word that we get raped from. Um, I think instead of calling it the great rapture or the catching up of the church, I think we ought to call it the calling home. Okay? Because that's what it means. That's the true word. And I like that idea. All right? If you read this letter, and there's a lot going to come out in our time of study here. If you read this letter and you read there that it says, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by the calling you read that and you think, wow. Um, one of the things that you see going on in the Roman Catholic Church now is that you have this um, problem in the priesthood and the seminary. Uh, and, and people are struggling with this. And I asked them, why are you struggling with this? They said, well, these are holy men. And I said, and? Um, and and they, the, the problem that exists is and the church teaches is that the priest is sinless. And I guess some of the priests <laughs> proved him wrong. I guess it's not appropriate, but it's not true. And yet he has called this church here in Corinth saints of the Most High God. And even just a cursory reading of this book, you, you have to ask, 
looking at the things of their lives, what has happened? I was reading Spiros Zodiati's um, commentary on this. Uh, he does an exegetical, and his comment, and he wrote his commentary, or at least a copy of his commentary that I have now, uh, was written in the late 60s. Um, and his comment today is, these, this letter to the church in Corinth is probably the greatest letter needed to be preached to the church in America. And I thought, well, that is pretty interesting because I've looked at some of the, the, uh, the studies and, and the, the, the teachings that were going on in the time of the culture of Corinth, and then as I went through it and perceived a little more, I understood what he was saying. Paul was called to Corinth to build a holy church. Okay? And what had happened, he was there for about uh, 18 months to a little over two years. And he had left, had gone on. And what had happened since his departure, what had happened is the culture of Corinth had become the predominant uh, influence in the church instead of the church being the influence in the culture. What does America look like today? Had we heeded Spiros Zodiati's command and exhortation in the 60s, we wouldn't have to worry about it today. But as I look at the church today, and when I read some of the stuff in Corinth, this letter to the Corinthians, when I read some of this and I understand, as soon as I read some of the phrasing, I know that it's going to cause some problems. I was sharing with uh, some of the people of the church, perhaps by the time I finish this letter, I will have run everybody off, and therefore I shall know I am done. Corinth was an evil place. It was a society that was based on sin. And sadly, the society was being brought into the church. There is a difference between the standing of a saint and the state of the saint. You understand what I'm saying? My standing before God right now is that of Christ. There are times when you would look at me and think, no way. Okay? But if you ask yourself, are you in the purification process and you don't feel it, Perhaps you're not a saint. I've shared before that if I preach a sermon and you are not convicted by the sermon, then I have probably neglected my duty. Or you are walking as Christ. The call for a Christian is perfection. Please understand that. Be holy. How holy? Be perfect. Why? As your Father in heaven is perfect. Please, please understand what I'm saying about this. I'm not saying find you a Christian and set your standards to him or her. Set your standard to Christ. If you really want to compromise, I will challenge you to set your standard to Paul. For Paul only wanted to walk as Christ walked. A saint is clothed in Christ. The letter to the Colossians says, put on Christ. And Paul begins this letter like he begins every letter that he wrote in the New Testament. Did you know that? 
I know what the first word in every letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Paul. You guys didn't know I was that smart, didn't you? I memorized scripture. I like it. I don't know where we got off on putting our names at the end of letters. Okay? Well, I don't know where that came from. It must be like a Roman thing. But the Greeks always started out first, here's who's writing, and then here's to whom I'm writing, and then some kind of greeting. I like that. Because there's some of you, when I would read it was from you, I don't need to read any farther. You guys do it when I send you a letter. <laughs> if it's got the church stationery on there, eh, you know. <laughs> okay? I mean, I don't even want to ask how many of you are reading the newsletter. No, 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 no. Okay? We, we're going to surprise you with one one of these days. <laughs> all right? It'll have powder. If you don't come in with white powder all over you, we'll know you didn't read it. Have a little blue light thing that we can check. They didn't read it. All right? But you know what is amazing about Paul's letters than any of the other letters of the New Testament writers? And that's what my message this morning is, the call of an apostle. Okay? Because Paul starts every one of his letters identifying his authority. Okay? The authority by which he has. Why? Because this letter in particular, you know what the focus of this letter is? confront sin. All right? And I get this today, and I've counseled some of you, not in your situations, but you're dealing with someone, and my response to you is always this. What is your biblical text for what you are confronting? If you do have, if you have no biblical text for what you're going to deal with, you have no authority. We looked at the conclusion of our letter to the Hebrews and it said, submit to your authorities that are over you, the elders of the church. And do this. This is a commandment from God. Why? Because they have to give an account for your souls. But the problem that has happened in our society today is that some men in leadership positions have exceeded the authority by which God has given them. My authority exceeds no farther from the 66 books of the Bible. Period. It doesn't go anywhere else. I have no authority to tell you what kind of car to buy or where your house should be located, how many bedrooms you have, what stocks you should buy. I have absolutely none. But when it comes to the confronting of sin, my authority never goes beyond what Scripture points out as a rebellion against God. And that's what Paul is doing. Because let me tell you something. Paul is going to step on some toes with this letter. I guarantee it. And he's just as he would have these people in the church in Corinth. He states out first what his authority is. You don't find that in any of the writers of the New Testament. Did you know that? That's amazing. None of the other writers give uh, an account of their credentials. And, and I believe there's many reasons. And I've, I've got a list of five or so. Um, he identifies his calling in this manner. I am an apostle. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it is by the will of God that I am this. 
All right? He, Paul is not doing this for glory. He's not doing this to boast. You, you do it today. You all buy into it today. I guarantee you. If we, we have a, a, a thing going on in our country today. We are at war. We are at war with terrorists. Okay? If I want to get information on terrorists, where would I go to get information? If I wanted to know how to prepare things, uh, maybe to defend my home, or uh, say you're in some kind of business that has a, 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 a possibility of a terrorist attack, where would you go? You would go to an expert on terrorism, wouldn't you? People like to be introduced by a title. Okay? And in some cases, it is... Now, don't get me wrong. In our society today, some of it is just to bring glory to the person who's going to speak. But in most cases, it is to bring authority, an affirmation to the person that you're going to listen to. You wouldn't go to a financial counseling uh, seminar from a person who has no idea about economics, now would you? Okay? Uh, You wouldn't go to a stockbroker and say, how long have you been doing this? Well, I started 10 minutes ago. What did you do before that? I sold brooms. Are you going to take his counsel or her counsel? So you see what I'm saying? Um, if you're going to buy a used car and you're not mechanically inclined, would you take it to an insurance salesman to ask you ask him if it's a good car? Would you? No, but that's a bad illustration. Politicians. I don't take no no politicians. All right. But you see, there's times in our lives when we're wanting information, we're wanting to be made aware of something. And we're going to listen to such and such because they have a background in whatever it is they're teaching. When I want to understand the Greek text of the, new, of the Bible, of the New Testament, okay, I go to Spiros Zodiades. He has spent his life in the Greek text. He's also got that name Zodiades. He's probably got Greek figured out. If I want to go into the Hebrew text, I go to Friedman. He spent his life in the Hebrew. I don't need to go learn Hebrew. There are experts out there. I don't need to learn Greek. There are experts out there. And I have seen the fruit of their labors, that God has given them this thing. And so I go to the experts and I listen to what they have to say. So Paul's using this to say, here is my authority. And what I am about to say to you is from Jesus Christ by the will of God. The word apostolon or apostolos is the noun. It means a sent one messenger. And I'll, I'll give you an illustration of it. If you were a Jew, these people would have understood this. Okay? Do you know where he set up the church in Corinth? It's the same place he does it everywhere. Where did he always go when he showed up in town? He looks for a synagogue, okay, a synagogue, a gathering of Jewish people. That's where the church, okay, that's where the church in Corinth first was birthed. And what is amazing is his first or second message, the chief of the synagogue left and became a believer, a convert. Do you know who took over the chief of the synagogue's position when Paul left? I'll deal with this more in depth next week. 
You know why? You know what his name was that took over? The chief of the synagogue in Corinth, a guy named Sosthenes. That name sound familiar? We'll look at it next week. All right? But Paul went into Corinth. He would go and he would reason through the Scriptures with the Jews. All right? If you were Jewish in the time of the writing of the New Testament, you had a council that you and I would perceive it as the Supreme Court. Okay? It was a council of 70. All right? And it was the wisest elders of Israel. And if I was at the synagogue in Corinth and I had a problem with what was being taught by the chief rabbi or the chief of the synagogue... I could file a complaint. And it was the mandate that the chief of the synagogue would take and have the letter and it would go to Jerusalem and it would be put before the council of the 70s. You know the name, the Sanhedrin. And they were the Supreme Court. And what they would do is they would go through their scriptures and all their wisdom that they could understand and they would rule on the verdict of the, of, of the question. And they would send a man back to the synagogue, and he would stand forth and he would say, I am the apostolon from the Sanhedrin. This is the verdict. So the authority that was given was coming from the Sanhedrin was done by the apostolon, the messenger, the sent one to relay the message that was given. That's the term apostle. I am an apostle. I have authority. My authority is from Jesus Christ. My authority is from Jesus Christ, and it is solely by the will of God. And you know what? This is not to boast. Please understand that. Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. I deserve none of this. I am what I am by the grace of God. We'll look at that. That's what he says in this letter. Okay, please understand these things. So why, why does he start with declaring his authority and all the other New Testament writers? I have five reasons. First, his relationship to the other 12 apostles. Okay, in that 12, I'm, I'm including Matthias. Okay? The apostles that you and I know of, these were the foundations of the, author, uh, of the early church. They were the authority of the early church. In, in the Acts chapter 6, the apostles' focus was, to, uh, was the study and prayer and it was the focus of the church on the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. Okay, now this is in Jerusalem. This is at the very birth of the church, just a, a few months into it. These 12 would immerse themselves in the Word of God and humbly bow before God, allowing the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and understanding like no other men ever. The twelve had an authoritative voice of Christ and were absolutely unified in every decision. In our church, we have an elder government. We, we have an elder government because it's biblical. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, and any of the rest of it is not biblical. And what we've decided in our elder body is that whatever decisions the elders make, there's absolute unity in the decision. We believe that we're all indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't be telling one elder one thing, another elder another thing, and another elder another thing. So when we make a decision, we make a decision based on absolute unity. If there is not absolute unity in what the elders are doing, we don't make the decision. No, we ain't doing it. It's that simple. Why? I don't believe that he's doing I don't believe he's all out of joint. The Holy Spirit is. 
All right? Now, these men were 12, and they were that way. It is unity. And they were unified in their prayer and the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. So you've got these original 12, and then here comes this guy, Paul. Okay? To say Paul is in an awkward position is an understatement. Early, did did you know that early in the birth of the church, Paul was extremely involved in the church? The man had zeal for the church, zest for a church. He gave a lot of energy for the church, though it is described in the New Testament as breathing threats and blasphemes and arresting Christians and bringing them to court. And he, he rejoiced at the stoning of Stephen. He held their coats. And you know what I can understand is he had great joy in what he was doing. It doesn't say that, but when you have a man that dedicated, you've got to figure he was having a good time. Paul, early in the birth of the church, was not with Christ. All right? Paul was not with Christ in his earthly ministry when Jesus walked among us. He had not seen the resurrected Christ before he ascended unto heaven. All right? And if you read Acts chapter 1, one of the qualifications for apostos, apostolon, apostle, the noun, according to Acts 1, is to know Christ in his post-resurrection. Paul had not experienced that. The apostle must also be chosen specifically by the resurrected Christ for a personal relationship and a personal ministry that Christ says, this is what I want you to do. Okay? Specifics. We are all to go into all nations and preach the gospel. We are all to make disciples. Okay? But there were specific messages that were sent out. All right? He had not seen the resurrected Christ, nor was he chosen by him. That is one of the reasons that I believe that the office of apostle is no longer in effect today. All right? And the, re- the biggest reason is, if you see the men who stood before the holy resurrected Christ, and the holy Christ said, do this, those men never wavered. <laughs> I mean, they, they're motivated. Okay? I had an opportunity um, a time ago when a, uh, a, a man of God laid his hands on me and said that God has called you to something. And, and, and I can't even, that gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But he, 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 me and another gentleman, and he said, God has laid it on my heart what I've seen in you and, and, and the brother that was with me and what I have witnessed in you and, and the fact that our paths have crossed that God is doing something great here, and I want to send you forth. That meant a lot to me. I mean, beyond anything, that anything could happen to me for the rest of my life, nothing could beat that except if I happened to be cruising up the Damascus Road, and Jesus said, it's me. All right? That's what Paul had. All right? So, here you have Paul, commissioned by Christ, and, and, and I want to give a, more to this because uh, there's, there's some misunderstanding about this today. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, 
speaking of the church as a household, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The prophets, the last prophet that you can identify, prophet, office of prophet, is John the Baptist. Okay, what I'm doing right now is prophesying. I am proclaiming Christ's word. And you, so you have a foundation on the prophets and the apostles. Okay, we're 2,000 years out. Surely we're not building the foundation still, are we? All right, so um, here's Paul. The apostles have been laid in Jerusalem with the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Paul wasn't there. All right, so Paul's a little bit late. So his relationship to the original 12, you're going to be questioning. Um, you know, people could look at Paul and say, we hear what you're saying, but you're not one of the 12. All right, by what authority, Paul, do you speak? And Paul continuously throughout his ministry had to establish this authority that he had. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll look at it because he'll, he gives an account of his calling by the post-resurrected Christ and Christ speaking to him and saying, Paul, I have appointed you as an apostle unto the Gentiles. So he's, he states this to understand that the foundation and the authority of his teaching is equal to the 12. Where was the first place Paul went? Jerusalem. Why? To meet with the 12. Why? To make sure he was on the right path and what he did was right. All right? But he was equal to the 12 to the point in the letter to the Galatians, he said, I confronted Peter to his face. That takes a lot of authority. That's Peter. I mean, Peter got out of the boat. The other... Tim didn't. And he got out and walked to Jesus on the water. I mean, he's a, Peter's want to jump up and cut the guy's ear off. He was at least thinking about fighting. All right, secondly, I believe that he sets his authority here in the early part of this letter, as he does all of his letters, is his relation to what I call pseudo-teachers, false teachers. If you will look at Paul's ministry, one of the things that he had that no one else had is continuously harassed by false teachers who it almost would seem that there was a group of them who followed him around. Who See, he came from a legalistic background. Keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. It's by grace, it's by grace, it's by grace, it's by grace. And they were saying, see, he was like this, but he's saying that that was too hard, so he's giving you this easy bill of goods so he can make a living. He had no credibility. He has no authority. He's not one of the twelve. So they would come in behind him. Jesusizers were the worst. They were the ones who come along and said, yeah, we believe that Jesus Christ was this, but you must keep the Mosaic law. Um, they were nasty with Paul. They constantly were attacking him throughout his ministry, and even some of them were his friends. Uh, took on this philosophy of maintaining the Mosaic covenant, uh, Mosaic law. Uh, and yet Paul understood this for what it was uh, in chapter 4 of this letter, verse 9. He makes this statement. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Here's the, the part of their biggest problem. I taught on this last, last week. You have to understand this. 
You can be a Christian and have presented your life as a living sacrifice. You can be a Christian and you can have stood there and renewed your mind daily. But the question is, have you bowed in such a way that you have forsaken your will? Because until you forsake your will, you're still traveling on pride. Your pride, not my pride, your pride. All right, but this is what he says here, and he says, uh, We are strong, but you are distinguished. We are without honor. To this present hour, we both go hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated. We are homeless. We toil, working with our hands, and when we are reviled, we bless, and we are persecuted. We endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. When we have become the scum of the world, the dredge of all things, even until now. That's pretty graphic terminology. But he understood what was going on. Um, he understood in relation to false teachers. He says, we are a spectacle. We are a spectacle. We are the scum of the earth. We are reviled. And see, false teachers were busy all the time against Paul. They were against him. Why? They want to discredit him. You watch a man of God that God starts using at all the people who will start to come along and discredit him. Well, he had this happen. I remember this, or I remember that. The Apostle Paul is no different. He's saying he is under constant attack. Thirdly, I believe it is his relationship to Christ. He wants everyone to know that he is real. Listen, let's be realistic. Early in Paul's ministry, to be a Christian in Jerusalem, you knew who Paul was. All right? And you would have a very thin ministry in Jerusalem. Okay, but you, uh, you arrested my Uncle Bob. Or whatever. All right? There were Christians who were not real sure about him. It would be that way anyway. In many areas, they would not trust him. Why? He repeats that I am an apostle. I have been called by Christ by the will of God. Why? So I can make you assured that I am of Christ, that I have a real relationship with Christ. So you, you understand, you do understand that the dealing with false teachers, I wish you collectively would grab this. I have had some people make comments that says, well, you know what, you seem to be negative on certain churches and church peoples and things. Listen, if false teachers were rampant when Paul's ministry was going on, do you believe they're in decline? Do you believe the false teachers will get fewer and fewer? If they're rampant in the time of Christ's ministry, where are we today? And so when I'm shouting that that person's teaching is not biblical, I'm not doing that because I'm mad at that person. I'm doing that because by the authority that that person claims they have, he's outside of his authority because what he said or she has said is not in the Scriptures. Paul, to say was effective ministry may be the greatest understatement ever. You and I who are sitting here today are a product, a fruit of the Apostle Paul's ministry. He was a messenger sent forth from God to who? To the Gentiles. If you're Jewish today, then you're a product of Peter. I am a product of the Apostle Paul. 2,000 years. And if you're effective in the society that we're in, then know that the world will hate you. He wants everyone to know 
that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was commissioned. He was ordained. You know, we don't ordain elders here. We appoint them. You know, one of the things that I've seen us do, nowhere in the Bible is it told, am I told to ordain anything. God ordains. In chapter 2 of this letter, he makes a statement, verse 2. I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, when I read that, I don't know how many times I've read that, you know, my first assumption there is, is Paul's assertion when he says, I am a bondservant of Christ. I'm not my own. Okay? I, I have nothing. I'm not, I'm not my own. But when I read that, my question is, am I, Terry, am I determined to know nothing among anyone except Christ and Him crucified? What is the focus of my energies as Terry? What, what is it that just drives me as the overwhelming thing that in everything I'm doing, I have that thing in there in the back kind of is the energy source. Paul gives you his right there in chapter 2, verse 2. I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. His fourth reason for his authority is his relationship to these readers here, specifically be the Corinth, Corinthians. He wants them to know that he has been sent to them. Um, verse 2, to the church of God which is in at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and ours. And then he greets them in verse 3. That their calling was that from God. He's not just an apostle, but he was an apostle to the church of God, and he is an apostle specifically to the church of God that was in Corinth. I am a messenger. I am a sent-out ambassador bringing a verdict to the church of God, which is in Corinth. I am called of God, verse 9 of chapter 1. He makes a statement, God is faithful through whom you were called unto his fellowship. Why? I was the one, I was the pot, the clay pot. He uses that phrasing to the letter to the Corinthians. And the fact that this church is still in existence proves that I was sent by God to you. He makes a comment to them and says, when it comes to spiritual things, uh, the word, it says spiritual gifts in most of your translations. And it just, the literal Greek is the spirituals. When it comes to spirituals, you're lacking in nothing. Meaning, you are called of God. But the fifth thing I believe that we see here is his relationship to God himself. Why? It is by the will of God. Remember what we looked at last week out of the letter to the Romans was that you may know the perfect will of God. The apostle Paul knew the perfect will of God was for him to be the apostle in Corinth to set up a church. He knew that. Do you know that I know emphatically the will of God is for me to be the pastor right here? Do you know that? I have no doubt in my mind. And do you know that God has put it in my heart in such a way I would be absolutely content if this is the only place I ever serve for the rest of my life. I have no desire to go anywhere else. I know that I am right now, right, right now, I am in the perfect will of God. Is that amazing? Can you know that? Yeah, Paul says you can. I know that. And I, I find myself knowing it and questioning why I know it. 
sure. I don't know. Paul was real sure, but I'm not Paul. I heard, I heard a guy one time <laughs> was talking about preaching, and you have to have passion in your preaching. And the guy raised a question. The guy's name is Alex Montoya. And he raised a question. He says, well, Jonathan Edwards, he didn't do that. When he preached the uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, he had a manuscript and he held it out here so he could just read it and he wanted to make sure that no one would take any uh, excitement or enthusiasm. So he read it in a monotone. Before he got finished, people were falling in the aisles, weeping and crying and begging for forgiveness. And he says, he didn't use any passion. He says, you're not Jonathan Edwards. (laughs) Big difference. If... He wanted to know that he had been delegated from God to them, and the information he had was from God. Okay, so I give you five things there. He wanted them to know, just like you would send an apostle from the Sanhedrin to give you a verdict. He said, I want you to know that the message I come from comes from the high court. I speak with an authority, I speak with a ruling. Thus saith the Lord, is what the prophets of the Old Testament would say. He's saying, I am not an independent operator. I come as a sent one from the throne of God. Ever thought about that? Do you know that your pastor is a sent one from the throne of God? Now, I admit, in some churches, I'm not sure what throne he came from. But in some places... The pastor who is there is the one that God sent. And you have been a part of this church for a long time. Do you know when I started attending this church? Whoa, that's a long time ago. 15, 16 years ago. You know we were almost at 200 people meeting every Sunday morning? That little house that's over here, it looks like, if you hold your head like that, it looks straight. That was, that whole bottom floor living room was where the young adults met for Sunday school. There was that many of us. You know that? It's packed. I didn't go to that class. No. But do you understand that? But what happened is our doctrine started getting crooked. We brought on an associate pastor. Our pastor left. The the pastor that I came to this church with and and left, and, 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 and I hate to say it, but he disgraced his calling. But the guy who came in after him um, was like Brillo Pad. All of the stuff that we had kind of grabbed a hold of and, 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 and took on and said, you know, this is, yeah, I'm feeling good about myself, type theology. This guy came in and says, you're not allowed to feel good about yourself, basically. And he began exposition of Scripture. He started in the book of Romans. All right, and we had people, and, and I hate to say it, but some of it was, uh, the bulk of it was from the female side. And, and, and I don't say that to offend anybody, but you know what? All you could ever hear him say was, I just don't like the way he says it. But I asked the question, was he speaking truth? Uh-huh. Then it doesn't matter how he says it. And then they brought me in, and I still don't know what you guys did wrong to get me, but anyway... But, but it's a process. Why? Because, I, you know why? I'll share this. You know why I'm here? I don't like people. I never grew up 
I, I never, I always, as an isolationist, I, I was content whether I was by myself. I was actually more content when I was by myself. I was. But God poured his love in my heart. I fell in love with you guys. And the only way I'd ever leave this church is if I can take all of you with me. So our move will be up the hill, three blocks. I've taken on another church. You're all going with me. We're going right up there. See, I kept my promise. I'm not leaving unless I can take you all with me. So we'll go up there. And everybody's asking, but you said you've seen your eye on another building. Yeah, yeah, we won't go there. All right? Paul is showing these, this church that his authority is established. I am not independent operator. I come as one sent from the throne of God. This is God's verdict. Whatever said, now I want you to get this, because what is said in this book is not Paul's opinion. He's the messenger. So, from the view of the other apostles, from the view of the readers, from the view of false teachers, from the view of Christ, and from the view of God, he has authority. And his authority was verifiable. Uh, He makes that statement in the end of this chapter 1, verse 24, he makes this. To those who are called both the Jews and the Greeks and Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He said, that's how I knew I came. Why? I came in the power of God. I came in the wisdom of God. In chapter 2, verse 4, he makes this statement. And my message and my preaching were not in pervasive words, persuasive words, or words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. You heard it. You seen it. You knew what was going on. I had people say that about me once. Paul came with an authority, and he is establishing his authority, but yet again, at the very beginning of this letter, because he has to confront these precious saints. And listen, if you're going to confront somebody, you better have some authority behind what you're getting ready to confront. If you don't, if it's your opinion, then all I have to do is walk away from you saying your opinion. He wants the people to listen. He's not boasting. Okay, what is his responsibilities? What is an apostle's responsibility? His first and foremost responsibility, he shows you in verse 17 of chapter 1. Christ did not send me to baptize. Okay, what did he send you to do, Bubba? But to preach the gospel. Period. Preach the gospel. He doesn't say dialogue the gospel. He doesn't say have conversational debates over the gospel. He says, I have been sent to preach the gospel. The first thing an apostle is called to do, mandated to do, is preach the death, the resurrection, and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, period. Seems simple enough. Preach the gospel. He mentions it again in chapter 9. My first foremost passion was to preach the gospel. He says, I am compelled, I am a driven man to what? Preach the gospel. But he also says that he was to make a living at it. In chapter 6 of Acts, verse 4, we devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This is a little more instruction on what the apostles are supposed to do. But he says, does Peter make a living at it? Yeah. Why? Because if you preach the gospel then what is your faith in? 
What you're preaching. If your faith is true, then what is you going to make? How are you going to make your living? What you've been preaching. What you've been preaching. There's too many people are preaching the gospel based on what they can earn. That's wrong. You preach the gospel. God will meet your needs. Maybe not your wants, but He will meet your needs. We give ourselves continuously to prayer. The ministry of the word in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says to the church, Paul writing the same letter to the church, he has given some to what? The apostles and prophets. Why? They are to preach. They are to pray. They are to teach the church. Why? That the church might grow. See, we've missed this. We have, the, the church in America is, is so far away from where Paul wanted it, where God wanted it. We, we're over here. If you ask an average Christian, did you worship today? Yeah. How do you know you worship? I guarantee it's going to be by music. And nowhere in the Bible is it that. But it says that after I've been encouraged by the word, what comes out of it? Praises and psalms and spiritual hymns and things. We don't do that. He got people, well, you know, with our society today, if you preach more than 20 minutes, you know, you've missed it. What do you mean I missed it? The book of Acts said Paul started preaching one morning and finished late in the night for the strengthening of the saints. Why? Lengthy messages, they encourage the people. That's why you talk to most Christians and find out what they believe. They don't believe nothing. Why? They ain't never heard anything. You got past my 20 minutes. I've shut you off. See how far we are? Romans chapter 8. You know what another term for a Christian is? person who loves God. I find that interesting when people say, I don't want to go to church. Why? Well, you know, them people there. Oh, you love God, just not his people. You can't do that, can you? If, I, if you love somebody, it's seen, isn't it? Well, you could get in trouble there, couldn't I? My husband doesn't act like he loves me. But it is through that the preaching of the word that the saints draw stronger as they draw stronger. You know what? And it's a painful process. Amen. Gee, many crickets. There's times when I would be willing to cut my toes off because God rolls over them so much. But then I know he'd just get a little closer to my ankle. So an apostle's responsibility was to preach and to pray and to teach the church that the church might grow in perfection as a chaste virgin unto God. But also in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that an apostle is known because they have this amazing ability that this, in chapter 12, verse 12 says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Why? To validate who they were and what they were doing. Preach the gospel. Teach the word to the church. And they did miracles. Dunamis with power to confirm their preaching. Now, the things that people are classifying as miracles today are not miracles. Right? Miracles is when you see dead people get up. That's a miracle. I've been around dead people. And a dead person gets back up again, that's a miracle. And I've not seen any dead people get up. When I've seen dead people, they're dead. Okay? Uh, when you see someone who is paralyzed, all of a sudden can get up and dance. I'm not talking about, well, you know, we grafted in some kind of neural system from a, a rat and it's God, we look, he can poke him with a pen and he twitches. 
I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who has no ability to walk, who jumps up and not only has the ability to watch, but can dance. They were sent by God. They were empowered by God. They were selected for a period of time in the church's history, which is done. And when it was done, they were done. Paul identifies himself in order to give authority. And I want you to understand this now. The reason that I wanted you to see the Apostle Paul's authority and the Apostle Paul's responsibility, and I want you to be very clear on this. When you read a truth from this book in 1 Corinthians, it is not Paul's opinion. Please understand that. Okay? It is God's message through God's messenger. People get into this book. I have never in my life seen a single New Testament text that people want to play around with than the book to the Corinthians. You're going to find a text in chapter 7 that says, I speak, not Christ. Well, that means... Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. It means, thus saith the Lord... Nowhere in 1 Corinthians, please hear me well, because there are some of you in the future, if you stay with us, that are going to get your toes stepped on by this book. And when it does, you're going to come to me and you're going to be a little angry and I'm going to give you my answer ahead of time so you don't even have to come to me angry. Okay? You can say 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. That's my answer. I've wrestled, brothers and sisters. I have been seven months reading the book of 1 Corinthians every day. I have been trying to play around in the book of Corinthians. I'm not allowed to. Why? Chapter 1, verse 1. Messenger of Jesus Christ by the will of God, period. This is the book where everybody says it was cultural. Yes, there were some cultural problems that he speaks of specifically that would do with the, the church in Corinth. And I'll deal with those when I get to them. But the answer is still the same. You studied Hebrews with me. Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday, today, except in 2002. No. So the answer is always the same. All right, let me share with you. This is the Word of God. It is not the word of man. The Bible is not a matter of opinion. I do not even believe the Bible is a matter of interpretation. If a man or a woman is willing to bow their knee to the authority who pinned this down, they will all have the same opinion. Why? It's God's opinion. It is power and wisdom from on high. People want to take part of this book and explain it away. Uh... Wait till we get to the part about Christian in court before the legal system. You're not going to be happy with what it says. But this book is authoritative, and I will, and I mandate you this day to treat it as such. 
Paul introduces himself by establishing the fact that this is his authoritative and he is God's man speaking to them by God's will. Period. I rejoice that he started this letter that way because you know what? It cleared up a lot of headaches that I was dealing with. When I get done with it, I can say, it's the will of God. Period. All right? As he wrote to the church of Thessalonians, um, if they do not hear you, it is God whom they are rejecting. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for my brother. I praise you for these precious souls that are so dear to me. And Father, so dear to you that you saved them. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. I thank you for its authority. And Father, may we who gather here in this, this body of believers rejoice at what your word is doing, what your word has done, and yes, Lord, where we shall go in its glory. Thank you, Lord, for the time you've given me to study and to look. And Father, the wisdom that you've shown me, and the, Father, the things that you've opened to me. And Father, I pray that this earthen vessel, you will be able to pour out your riches so that these precious souls be encouraged and strengthened and walk worthy in this day, this age, that dwarfs what the Corinthians dealt with. And yet, Lord, we have the victory. Your praise and glory. Amen.